Welcome to the Backwards Infect at Twitter and Gmail under that same name. I have just one question for you. How soon is now? Bam! Happy New Year, Luke. We made a game. <laughs> In the 3D. What a uh, hell of a year we had. Yeah, 2022 was um, a special kind of year for sure. I guess for the both of us on the journey that we've been on, uh, it was a spectacular year. A lot of stuff was born this year. So, yeah, as far as spiritually, it's been a crazy, phenomenal year. I mean, a lot of stuff for me come full circle. A lot of stuff, I mean, I've, I've gone to depths that I never thought I would go to. Uh, I never thought my brother would have a massive awakening like that. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of things in 2022. Good. Good stuff. We started the podcast in May of 2022. So now we're into going into 2023 and seeing what it brings us. It definitely seems like a really long time. Seems like a long year. Like I never say that, but uh it definitely Yeah, there's just so much that's jammed into this year. It's unbelievable. Right. I know um the last time we talked, I was interested in some reality checks and I suggested um, some doorway awareness as you're entering the doorway like be aware of the um, fact that you're entering the door and use that as a reality check what I ended up doing is exposing myself to myself because I cannot remember when I go through a door I have tried multiple times now, so there's a there's a blind spot that I'm aware of now. And I think what happened is I realized that my willpower is super strong, like in one direction in terms of like not doing something. Same thing we were talking about, like, you know, stopping cigarette smoking like you just don't go through the motions to set yourself into smoking a cigarette you just stop it but then there's this other side of the coin with willpower which is like actively pursuing something and i seem to be missing that side because and it's just i think it's related to memory i think it's related to attention i think it's related to memory but it definitely reminds me of like some of the process going on in the dreams as well so a lot of what i had to start out with is a big plan to tackle that little predicament i find myself in i when you say that it's the same way i don't i don't know what it is about 
it is pretty revealing because even the next day we said, you know, use that as a kind of a key of soul opportunity as well. Um, you know, a doorway spawning that and it's kind of a bizarre blind spot. Like you said, like I, uh, how many times do you walk through a doorway during the day? And uh, I mean, if, if it's a hundred, I'm not recalling, like in a whole day, I'm not recalling one time. One time. And it's very true. But that, it's pretty revealing to us. I mean, it shows you how in-depth we are as far as specifics. But if you look at that, in the dream world, that's exactly what you're doing. Like you're going through a hundred doorways and you're not even picking up your head. You're, you're not even aware through a hundred freaking doorways. You could have gone to a hundred different dimensions. Some ugly, some beautiful, some whatever. And you didn't pick your head up one time. I mean, it's very telling of I, I mean, and it's blaring to me that it's that it's, it's happening to both of us. It's like, yeah, this is what's going on right now. Like, we, we have to get past this. I mean, it's, it's hitting us right in the face. I mean, it's blaring to me. Well, then, uh, I, do have, I do have a remedy here. So um, I keep throwing new people at you, but this guy kind of took me by storm as well. His name is Alan Wallace. The title that got my attention was Dreaming Yourself Awake. And that one's free on Audible. I highly recommend that one. It was probably the best. They call it Dream Yoga. And it's all the practices that we're onto. And uh, it was it was pretty insightful. But that book led me to the same author doing this other book. And this is called The Attention Revolution. Now, this has a lot to do with just the meditation on focus point or the meditation on the breath. And so this is the second time I've stumbled on this concept and I'm starting to think it's probably for a reason. But the last time we talked about it, I was just describing it as relentless attention in the breath. So as a daily activity, like you would get up in the morning, you start your daily meditation, and then as you leave your daily meditation, you try to stay in the breath. You try to go to work, you try to get your stuff done, so you have to use discernment in terms of, is this something my mind needs to be engaged with? If the answer is yes, then clearly you engage with your responsibilities. But if the mind goes in a direction that's just a distraction, you're supposed to notice right away and go right back to the breath. Like as a daily meditative principle. And then if you find yourself like in a point of frustration, then you would just go back to the full meditation again to get yourself back centered. Now, that was the last time I heard about this relentless focus on the breath. 
And I do think it's difficult for people like you and I because there's obviously like so much responsibility in our life situation. Like the stuff that I'm talking about here, I mean, it's recommended you go to a monastery. So it's, it is hardcore. So I don't know. I think for somebody like you and I, we'll kind of be feeling our way through a process like this, like what's feasible, what's not feasible. But in this book, The Attention Revolution, he breaks down the mindful meditation. And I thought it was brilliant because it, it just put it into so many small pieces. He, in the book, it's about 10 levels of this relentless attention in the breath. And I'll go through the 10. It's number one, directed attention. That one's pretty self-explanatory. That's somebody just starting. Like So the directed attention on the breath. Like you and I have already talked about like focus point. Like there's other things you could put the object of attention on. But for now, let's just assume this is on the breath, although we could adjust that later. Two continuous attention three resurgent attention four close attention five tamed attention six purified attention seven fully purified attention eight single pointed attention nine attentional balance and ten which is a yoga state samate which is one of those blissful states that you achieve. And then the entire book is breaking him down and you're gaining strength as you go through these 10 levels of attention. So that second side of the willpower, I think this entire book is about that. And I'm pretty excited um, I've been giving it a try. Like the idea is you want to be able to try to last for four hours, which is a pretty long time. <laughs> four hours of constant attention on, say, the breath? Four hours of not necessarily, I mean, that would be great if you could just take four hours out of your day. I know you and I can't do that, but four hours of catching yourself every time your mind wanders. So that's what, like, resurgent attention. So it goes directed attention, continuous attention, and then the resurgent is just, oh, wait, I'm not paying attention. How quickly do I recover resurging the attention? And that's got to be pretty fast. And then close attention. So when I tried this, I think, um, Thursday I started just trying to go through multiple hours in the day. And uh, from the book, I started counting how many times I had to resurge my attention, how many times like I lost it and I had to come back. Right? So it was over 100 times in an hour. So, I mean, it's pitiful. I mean, it's, it's pitiful. When you try to... When you try to apply like what we're trying to achieve mystically in the dreams, it's like, man, I am not lasting very long at all. So that was kind of eye-opening. I kind of thought that 
my awareness on my wandering mind was keeping me grounded. Like I thought I was okay because I'm always aware. But I didn't realize just how active it is. And so it's resurging into mental distraction. Literally, it's if it's not 100, it's more than 100. Because it's basically every 30 seconds. Like I lose it. That's how quickly it wants to like get moved. But don't forget, like I'm not sitting there meditating. Like I'm working. You see what I'm saying? So like there's... I'm moving around, I'm driving. So there's reason to be distracted, but you're trying to control that. I just realized how bad I was at it. Well, even while meditation, when you're not doing anything at all, it's there's sometimes when you realize that in a five minute period, you went off 15 times. Right. There are some meditations that you, you know, after 20 minutes, I get up and I feel like I didn't get anything because I I couldn't get more than five or six or seven minutes of, you know, purity. And it always, and I, I don't think walking away dejected or whatever is the, the proper attitude because it, there's definitely different meditations um, as far as clarity for me. I mean, sometimes I sit down and meditate and I get into it, and for an hour I feel like I don't get pulled into thought, not distracted at all, once you get to that higher plane. But getting there in your daily routine, that's where it gets a little fuzzy for sure. Yeah, and uh, I mean, that's why I recommend the book because it breaks it down to those 10. And then so, I mean, that's the entire book. They're going over these processes and they're really talking about like in your daily process how to keep your attention directed to your will. And that's the whole thing. And it's that book that leads into Dream Yourself Awake, which is another, I mean, they're both free on Audible, by the way, which is nice. Um, But it seems like just stumbling onto the answer to the exact question that I was having when I found this guy. Because I think what that is demonstrating is the exact remedy in order to go through the day and take on a project like I'm going to remember when I walk through a doorway. I mean, something as simple as that, but that active will and attention that seems to be, I know, lacking for me right now. Ask and you shall receive. Yeah, for some sure. Some slow and some grow fast, but they always bear fruit. Yeah. So I'm super excited about this guy. And that's definitely like one of the things I, I want to try to do starting out this new year is just, 
more along the lines of trying to work better with the spiritual playground aspect of like the way the jobs go and stuff and really try to push into that space with just intention of progression. And um, I do think this specific um, mindful yoga meditation thing here in this attention revolution is a good roadmap to try to push into that direction. So I'm pretty pumped about it. It's, um, it's definitely been eye opening. It's been, it's been interesting. Yeah, it sounds like it. I'll jump on board with that. I mean, seems like the breath is one of the easiest things for me to bring my attention to and, and the door the doorway was an eye opener because the breath seems like well you can go to it but doorways was like why do you not remember every time you walk through a doorway like it's so bizarre yeah but it is so telling i mean it's, it's being shown for a reason um but you mentioned uh, that was Alan Watts, right? Alan Wallace, W A L L A C E. For both books? Yes. Yeah, I actually started dreaming yourself awake. I didn't learn that much of it. But the week before, I was sick last week. You had sent me some material from Michael Singer. Yes. I think it was about a 45-minute audio I listened to. And I really got a lot out of it, like a lot. And I've got a, I've got a lot to say about it. But basically, Michael Singer's approach is anyone that uses as little religious content as possible to get you to an end result of more presence is like this beautiful person to me and, and a very talented in what they do because they are able to translate into words what you need to hear using the right words but not using a lot of the words that may be a turnoff um, a lot of the great ones and great masters do that perfectly I felt like Michael Singer kind of took it to another level as far as ease of listening to um, some others in the beginning can be a little bit harsh or, you know, direct or what have you. Everybody has their different delivery. And yeah, it's what makes everyone uh, just a little bit more unique than the next person. But Michael Singer has a simplicity about him that really grabbed my attention and I just stayed with him that whole 45 minutes which was it's pretty cool and I kind of want to go in depth to how you bring in spiritual teachers because I know and maybe a little bit later but I I know that there's kind of maybe uh, a lot of opposing views about you know do you listen to this person do you listen to that person or um 
whatever it may be, or even spiritual teachers in general claiming to be this or that. I find it very soothing to explore different ones because they all have different deliveries and different perspectives and they seem to all line up in, in, in synchronicity with you're going on a path. So Michael Singer, he goes through the whole thing about being spiritual. And the reason why it hit me so hard is because spiritual life in general, I felt like he depicted it brilliantly. Like how, and it's not even that people get stuck in spiritual life. I've, I've explained it to you several times that you get into, you know, I was happy to find peace and I considered myself for the last 25 years a good spiritual person. I had learned where some of the secrets were found. I had learned peace. I had learned a pathway past anxiety. I had learned a pathway past being stuck in your head. Um, I, I, I knew the doorway I knew spirituality I understood it I understood where where it was taking me and what place I could put myself in I knew how to center myself unequivocally knew how to center myself which is spirituality which is spirituality but I had been in a limbo land as far as and I know we've done a podcast about spiritual materialism and i'm going to kind of tie that in as far as contrast as well because there's a fine line between what we think ascending and then what we call spiritual materialism is and i was in limbo of what different levels meant like okay once you're awakened do you really is it here you just stay on the path and continue or do you ascend to different levels um, I got a lot of clarity from his message. And basically that message is, and, and, and then I got another wham-bam synchronicity the week after from Gene Hart. Christ is not a person. Completely synchronized with everything that I heard from Michael Singer. And completely in line with the same topics we had asked about and talked about and wanted specific answers. And the thing about a spiritual teacher for me is it's not that I actually wrote down. The point I wanted to make is that they actually can provide confirmation for you in words that you already have within, but they put them into words and they provide this confirmation that you already have within, but they have the gift to put it into the words that you needed to hear at that moment. And you can grab that. You can grab that and say, wow, I knew that. I, I confirmed that. I couldn't put it into words like that, but you just gave me the gift of beautifully articulating it. And I'm like, ah, oh, there it is. You know? So in that it's a major contrast than what you would see in a religious leader where it's more conformed. So when I reach out to a religious leader, it's not the same. Like I'm looking for confirmation in a spiritual teacher or, you know, like you said, you get um, a lot of comfort if, if nothing else. But the, the contrast for me is 
you know, confirming over conforming. And it's a huge, it's a huge difference. So I don't look, or I don't think you look, you don't look to spiritual teachers as like they're at a place that I can't get to or what level they are, or, you know, obviously no Gene Hart is, is probably on a, a little bit higher level than we are because he's been doing it a little longer and his discipline seems to be on, on a level that, you know, haven't attained yet. But all in all, it's, it's, it's the same thing. So back up here to what really got me about the message of Michael Singer is the life that I've lived as far as being spiritual. But there's people that just push the envelope further and actually get to the point where the drop becomes the ocean. And yeah. that's the same thing as the Gene Hart rendition of Christ is not a person, but Jesus incarnated Christ, which very few people have done to in, in described the Christ consciousness as the epitome of the whole universe. And the idea that the drop could become the ocean. And once it does, you become a figure that's so polarizing that what's coming out of your mouth is, you know, no one enters the kingdom of heaven, but through me, because that's the only thing that can come out of his mouth. <laughs> right. He is the ocean. Right. He became the ocean. So there's a point in which you get in where there's zero separation. And for me, it hit hard because your whole awakening and what's led up to me and to this and Sometimes we've, we've probably said this a hundred different ways over the last seven months, but then you get someone like Michael Singer who says it just a little bit better. It's like, wow, I understand it a little bit more. And I got a hundred percent clarity instead of 90% clarity. And that clarity for me is, you know, obviously the spiritual awakening did a ton for you. It completely changed your life, but it did, it did, it, 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 it tenfold for me because it's now loop spiritual to mystical like how do you get from spiritual to mystical and there's a pathway there of ascension and i know that now and it has nothing to do with like ego i think i'm going to be better than the next spiritual teacher or i'm going to be uh, i'm trying to pass gene hart or i'm trying to get to jesus christ there is a path from spirituality to mystical there's a path there and you're you're somehow after an awakening is like diving into the mystical like immediately i've been doing this shit for 25 years just living a spiritual life and that's what it gave me is a lot of confirmation on the pair of us and and what you know I should have my sights on now as far as it's not necessarily doesn't have to be done. It's spiritual. You know, there's a whole nother plethora of doors to open and it's been kind of a slow process for me, but you've kind of hit the ground running and it's, um, it's taught me a lot. When he said in that, in that one audio that we listened to, I mean, he's got a, 
two season podcast. It's great. He's got two books. We're talking about the podcast Blatant Season Two, which uh, he he doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about the mystical, but he does kind of offer it up. And what got me, it was so when he said the consciousness, and then like there's this spot, like there's this there's this progression that. I do understand it's it's the awareness being aware of itself. So when you're meditating, and I know you know this, but you get quiet enough and it's like a black and white switch. It like switches on a dime and you're more aware. And you like there's no guessing. I mean, it's it's full confidence that something just switched. And that's the awareness becoming aware of itself, which sounds cryptic and like riddle-ish when I say it. But when I hear him say it, I'm like, I know exactly what you're talking about. And then he's saying that you can pull back from there. And then he says, that's when you feel the consciousness hit you from behind. When he said that, I was like, oh my God, like, because... That was my sensation where I felt like I had like a crowd behind me. And so it matched up with what my experience was perfectly. So I got super excited when I was hearing them. But that's what I was always asking back then. I'm like, how much of this is achievable? How much of this just hit me and now I'm slowly moving away from it, but how much of that is like an attainable state that we can walk around in, in a daily basis. And after I hear him talk, I'm like, oh my God, I can get there. I can get there. Like I already know that first stage he's talking about, like the awareness of the awareness. And it's so funny because it's even like, like that. Like at the end of the OA, it's super emotional. Like it's like a feel good movie. Like I know what's happening. Like I'm just, I'm involved and it's creating like an emotional response. But my emotional response now, like it's so weird. Like I can almost feel it. And it's like I'm a little too tight. I'm a, like in the chakras or something, in the spiritual body. I'm a little too tight. I can't quite relax and let it all through. But man, sometimes I feel like I'm so close to just letting it all come through. But I just feel like that pursuit is going to pay dividends. And I'm just, um, I don't really know what else to do at this point. I can feel like I can taste it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a difference that, I mean, that's what's put me in, in more of the path that I'm on to mystical is the just everything that we've done over the past six or seven months and um, all the confirmations and different people is so good to talk to because give you an example like Eckhart Tolle is a wonderful spiritual guy I think he gives a lot of advice on how to stay grounded and how to stay spiritual 
I've never heard a Michael Singer talk about the drop in the ocean. I needed to hear that. I wouldn't have got that message from Eckhart Tolle. Right. So the, the exploration of what we call spiritual teachers, I think is very, very good on your journey. And, and it's why when taking it to the Bible, for example, when you talk about, you know, you should read the Bible and the Bible alone, as far as being a Christian, you have the opportunity to tap into more Christ consciousness. If you have the open mind and awareness and truth to be able to discover that. So it's so, so plain to see for me, as far as, you know, the different people, because if you look at the Bible, they did have, they're like, okay, we've had a bunch of enlightened people. All of you guys can write your own book. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be like this guy and this guy. It's going to be exactly what me and you are doing now in 2023. We're going to different people and we're like, whoa, you, you said, whoa, where's that's coming from the same place. Oh, that's coming from the same place. You word it just a little bit differently. Oh, that's coming from it. You word it just a bit differently, but it doesn't matter because my it's in here like that's that's where i hear that's where i resonate that's where i vibrate so if it matches with that you're a book of the bible too like it's everywhere and to narrow it down into this is the only word that's just hogwash it's hogwash and it's the biggest lies that we go through today yeah no doubt about it Yeah, I think it's just now it's trying to figure out because I, even when I start talking about it, it's like that desire and that desire for like the spiritual the spiritual progression, and then like trying to like understand that balance. And one thing I really like about Michael Singer that he says a lot is he says relax. That's that's a key in terms of like what you're doing when you're getting bombarded with the distractions of the mind because you can't engage them. You can't like force them out. You just have to notice them and you have to relax. And one of the things with this new author that I found that he said that hit me really, really hard. And you and I were both into this practice with like the spot meditation so basically like a white paper with a black dot or vice versa in color or just like a spot on the wall practice your concentrated focused meditation like on that spot just and just for five minutes like just practice keeping the eyes still practice being on that spot when i was doing that like it was very intense for me like i bet like my face got tight and I'm like really, really like I, like it's scanners. Like I'm about to shoot laser beams out of my eyes. I mean, it's really intense. But after listening to this, the exhale in the breath is always relax. You do it when you meditate. The breath is always exhale, relax. And Michael Singer says it all the time too. Inhale, Attention, exhale, 
relax. Always. 24-7. Inhale attention. Exhale relax. That changed everything. Now you go back to that spot and it's like, oh, I don't have to keep the attention. I can relax on the exhale and I can pull the attention back on the inhale. You So the one breath is like a whole cycle of meditation all on its own. Because how do you start every meditation? Like you sit down, you relax the body, and then you still the mind, right? That's what you do every time you sit down to meditate. But to take that whole concept and put it into the breath, where it's just every time you exhale, you relax, like that probably cut... So remember when I said... It's like a hundred times an hour. Just remembering to relax on the exhale, probably cut it in half. Cleaned up so much mess. Like, and so how important like that relax is like constantly reminding yourself to relax, but it's in here. But that's what I'm saying. Like, there's there's some part of that that I feel like's almost uh, in the chakras or spiritual or something like that. Relax goes deeper when you like commit to it, where it starts getting into stuff like your heart and your solar plexus and your stomach, and it that relax can go deep when you stay on it. You learn it through the body process, relaxing the body. But I'm learning that there's like a deeper relaxation involved that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with like the cells in my body. It's more like the uh, I, I guess spirit of the body. I I don't even know what it is, but it's it's just it's a it's not my muscles. It's not like a body tension. But I can, I'm piecing it together slowly and there's something about understanding that exhale is always relaxation. So as stress builds like throughout the day, like just that little reminder, my exhale is always relaxing. My exhale is always relaxing. And that seems to fix quite a bit of stuff. Yeah, I love the exhale, especially when I'm meditating. Now that you said it, it's just like, especially that hold at the top, and we did that a little bit on the last podcast. Of, of, it's good stuff. I did want to ask you what what we just talked about as far as Michael Singer and going you know, from a drop to being in the ocean and you're never able to come back from that. And I would say that the process of it is kind of like you getting to the point where the drop is in the ocean, but you still have the identity and it's not quite. So I think there is still a process, but once it's like, bam, the drop is gone in the ocean, it's, it's done. Like the stuff that's coming out of Jesus's mouth at that point is like, it's going to be very mystical because he can only say what, he can say like that's where it gets mystical but the, the different levels we've had a podcast about spiritual materialism 
and you know, I had a little bit of confusion with that as far as like leveling up. What do you? What is your insight, or you see the difference between spiritual materialism and ascending to the drop of the ocean? Yeah, I think it's it's that there's so much to do with balance. There's so much like your process of progression cannot be like full of effort and desire. But that's definitely what develops like as you move forward. Like you get a little taste of the mystical, you get some experience and like you you really, really desire the next experience and you really, really hold on to the experience that you had. And that's the materialism. Like that's the, like you're banking stuff, but that's clouding the progression because you're either stuck in the past and now you're trying to figure out how to happen again in the future. I think that's the whole problem. And then you're not able to like quietly focus on the present task, but it, it's, I mean, so it's like the bigger the experience is or the grander the experience is, or the more meaningful it is to you, the more that that's the case. So you get this big, huge bump, you know, a big progression step, like, holy crap, I was in the astral and, you know, I shook Jesus's hand. But that's going to also have like a rebound effect where you're going to be stuck in that experience and you'll be attached to it. So that there's this, you, the idea is... <laughs> You're trying to flow down the river and not not be attached to these things as they're happening and you would get better and better. So when Osho talks about it, he's like the drop goes into the river and then the river is floating downstream and eventually it gets <coughs> to the ocean. Yeah, so after I heard that, that's a, that's a pretty good explanation uh, there. So after I heard that from Michael Singer, I then, I think it was Christmas Eve, Gene Hart came out with a new video, Christ is Not a Person, and I see the title and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm all in on this one, because if there's ever, like, you know me, and I was even talking to Dad about this, like, if I ever had like a calling the last 25 years, I mean, I haven't shut up about a certain topic. So when I see Christ is not a person, I just see, you know, when I had to wake up the massive injustice that I saw, I was like, wow, there's not, it's enough to be asleep. But like you have people like using Christ to put people asleep. Like what the F is that? I mean, you use Christ to put people to sleep. So it's always like this, Massive injustice, and whenever anyone puts it into words like Gene Hart, I'm like, like my heart is melting. Literally, I, I'm. It, it was beautiful because it, the truth needs to be heard, but it needs to be delivered in a way that is deliverable, obviously. 
but the way that he put it, it's and and that's what I'm saying. Everyone's getting to this same point. It's just everybody articulates it in in the same way, that, or in the different ways that you articulate truth. But the way that Gene Hart articulates Christ is uh, beautiful in itself. By saying, you know, Jesus was the person, and you have you know Christ consciousness. That's the supreme consciousness of the universe that he was able to incarnate and that, you know, once you incarnate and he becomes Jesus Christ, you know, he is the, the ocean. Now you put yourself 2000 years ago and someone was able to incarnate at the perfect time when, you know, I, I think during that time period, everyone was looking for a Messiah. It was like the, the age of the Messiah. Everybody wanted to know the Messiah. So you put Jesus in that time period who was able to incarnate Christ and become the ocean. That's pretty spectacular. But you have a lot of timing involved too because, you know, Buddha who obviously incarnated Christ consciousness, it didn't get the same kind of effect as Jesus Christ. They also have other people that you would consider the great masters of, of at least here. And then, you know, obviously getting your prize of whatever it may be in the universe. But to be able to do that here and, and just hear Gene Hart explain that Christ consciousness so beautifully, because people get stuck on the man so much. And it's hard to deliver that message. And it's hard to hear about uh, beyond conditioned thinking. And I know it's hard to hear. I mean, I, we were raised in a church. I understand it's hard to hear. But it doesn't mean it shouldn't be said. It should be said because it's you can't get to Christ through Christianity. It's just not possible. Yeah, uh, he definitely, that was like the most respectful, meaningful thing I've heard about Christ and Christ consciousness, I, maybe ever. I mean, it, it, I just, I, I like how he does that, and then I just fall into like, so, um, so okay with just the Christ figure where I just don't feel like I need to, um, like he just puts it into so much perspective and he puts so much meaning into in, into Christ itself. Like I just, I, I feel like I totally uh, turned my back on the religion when I left and just to have it like resurged and just have this new respect for like what that was and like the deep meaning that's that's there that I always missed. Like I see the religion as like aiming for something, but it's it's just it's just like the unconscious expression of Christ consciousness. I mean, it's just it's just the unconscious expression like in institutional dogma form 
And so, I mean, looking at it from, you know, the point of view of somebody who's understands like the importance of experience over belief. You know, I, I, I do think that they're selling themselves uh, short, but at the same time, I mean, it's, you can see, you can see clearly what happened. I mean, I, we, we deal with it all the time now it's like you have the awakening i mean the problem with the awakening is i mean it's basically you're alone nobody else wakes up with you except unless you're me and i have you wake up right next to me but i mean basically the whole story everybody has is you wake up alone so you come to your senses like holy crap like i was hypnotized and that thing that i was like wasn't me but you can't transfer that message to anybody. Like, nobody wants to hear that message. Nobody wants to hear, like, you're completely ignorant. You're completely asleep. You're completely hypnotized. Like, but that's so much of the population. And so they're going to still reach for spirituality. Because they have that pull in their heart. They're going to still reach for meaning and you know what is life after death and you know where did we come from <coughs> they're going to we they're going to reach for those questions but they're not they don't have they don't have any foundation to even start so you just take the figure Christ and then you can see how you know you would make it real simple i mean look at the 10 commandments you know, in terms of the stuff we're talking about and like the accountability and the honesty, the, the, the self-honesty involved, the accountability involved, like the true meaning of morality and how you have to take on like forms of discipline that, you know, you wouldn't have even thought possible years ago. I mean, then you contrast that to like the Ten Commandments. Like the Ten Commandments is a pretty low bar. Thou shalt not kill. You know, you know, don't screw another guy's wife. You know other gods before me. I mean, it's so low. It's like they're talking to Neanderthals or, so, or something. Like that's the best you have to offer is the Ten Commandments. Because like the spiritual path and morality and discipline is so much more involved but you can see what they're doing. I mean, they're they're building structure to try to lead the population to religion. I mean, it's a control mechanism. But there's so much beauty and meaning like in it as well. I'm torn with it these days. You might be torn, but you just beautifully said how it is. Yeah. I think you're torn for what it creates. I think you have respect for the construct of collective construct in a way. In a crazy way, I think you have respect for what it does for people 
and if it does keep people on some way of a sanity good type life in general I think you you have a little bit of respect for that structure possibly it's just you know it's like every culture and it's you know the eastern cultures the indian culture you know even you go to like native american culture like they're all reaching for the spiritual so i just see it as like this natural human thing it's 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 the ignorance is reaching for the spirituality and so when you look at it from the awake point of view, you're just like, oh, my God, you guys are taking way too many wrong turns to get anywhere. I mean, that's the point of view you get for sure. But it's like, it's not as if they're good at at getting anything else done either. I mean, look at the state of the world we're in. I mean, when ignorance is behind the wheel, like you get this world that we're living in today. And religion is just like that one small part of it where, like, of course it's the same thing. You know, it's power structure, it's business, it's all the things that we think are wrong with the rest of the world. <coughs> I love the way you've articulated it, though. That's That's good, man. Kind of stuff makes me come alive. Yeah, I always have to remind myself it is such a it's such a um, more of a deal for you down there. It is. It is. That's true, and I I get that. It 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 is more prevalent. Like my surround and my immediate surroundings have nothing to do with how passionate I am about this subject though, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, my passion about it is like this massive collective thing. It, 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 it because like that, you know, I was on the phone with you when you awakened and, you know, when I awakened, I went outside and I, I, I introduced myself to a tree, you know, like I, there was, there was a bit of, there was a bit of betrayal against the system that was, it, it flooded me. It flooded me. It was like, um, and, and, and there was, there was no judgment though. I'm just sitting there like, okay, I, I'm, I've had my moment like V for the Vendetta, the raindrop moment, and I'm 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 literally introducing myself to a tree, and I just am overcome with truth in the whole matter of it, and I begin to look at my whole life and and the just a a, a weird betrayal shedding. Know if that makes sense, but in, at that time too, I just I have such a big thing towards the word backwards because even when I started to write, I told you 25 years ago the title was the backwards effect, and we changed it to the backwards infect. I 
that moment was all encompassing for me. You know, when the raindrop hit the head, I'm now have this viewpoint where I say literally, my God, forgive them for they know not what they do. I had that moment. And then it was like, it, it, it just turned into a passion. Like, how can you have this amount of religions and this amount of religious leaders and and everyone be oblivious to it? And I'll give you an example. I turn on the TV and I see the Pope and I see millions of people out there, millions of people in the street, and they've all come to just to get a glimpse of the Pope. They've all come to get a glimpse of the Pope. And I stare at the TV and I can't understand it. I can't understand it. I can't I can't wrap my mind around it. I can't grasp it. All I do is I see millions of sleep people who just want a glimpse of this man who's got like gold on, he's got a crown on. And I think what you what are you people doing? I just see it in this way that it's always been when when I look at it. So it's, it, it, it there is a, a lot of religious people right around where I live, but it's more of a global thing for me too. I look around and I'm, you know, the world religions. Yeah, you know, I'm just super passionate about it and what it's done. I mean, I've, I've even talked about, you know, the cause of, of the war has to do with religion. Like if you look at history, like most, almost all wars in history are fought based on the phenomenon of I think I'm right and you're wrong, which is the basis of any religion. Every religion thinks that they're right and the other one is wrong. But most religion, if it's not fought over a religion like Islam versus Christianity, it's still fought over that same principle. I'm right and you're wrong. They're all fought over that. It's the basis yeah, they- of the war. Yeah, it's definitely true. I mean, they there's that you can view them as like their own entities and they're they're very concerned about their own superiority and it it's it's very much has to do with like the inferiority of the other entities. And they're very caught up in that. Um I mean, that's where you can see them clearly from like an awakened state. Like clearly they don't do that correctly because they should just be honoring any path to the spiritual that exists. Everybody should be honoring every path to God that we find. And I, I think that's really the gist of it though. But I mean, I don't know. I just have, I have a lot of compassion for him. I think in a lot of ways, like you talk about like that crowd in the Pope. And I think to some degree they have like just an easy, easy version of what we have. Like they've just accepted belief and then they've built this fundamental spiritual diagram that makes them okay but it's it the problem is in terms of like in contrast to what we're doing like it's just such an easy version 
like if you look at Christianity, it's like, wow. So you accept Christ into your heart through like one ritual on a Sunday. And that's basically it. And even if you stray, you can ask for forgiveness at the end and you're all set. That's how easy it is, like within the structure of their own dogma. I mean, so they've got it set up to where people come in, they get a lot of peace. Like they think that they've delivered like all of their spiritual necessity through that dogma. So like their conscience is clear. And that's what that system provides them. It's only after something like a near-death experience or, you know, some other kind of spiritual awakening that you can start to discern, like, first of all, like, what the connection to God is, and then you can start to understand, oh, like, this is a very mechanical process that has rules and laws that I'm sure are written places. Like people are good at demonstrating them. People are good at talking about them, but they're actually in you. And it's about being honest with yourself. And it's about holding yourself accountable. And people don't like that one bit. I mean, people don't want to be, I mean, like the judge, the jury, the judgment is all right here. But that's pretty scary for people. And that's like, it's a much more difficult path, much more involved path, much more discipline, much more time. I mean, it's way more involved. I mean, I can see why people would just... Accept Christ into your heart. Make sure you ask forgiveness for your sins and you're all set. You know, it's. I tweeted out just before Christmas, putting Christ on a pedestal only supports the comfortable construct that has been built. The very act is not honor, but degradation. And then I retweeted out as far as the easy what you were saying. It is the avoidance of going within. It is exploitation. So, yeah, avoidance of going within. That's the easy part. Avoid avoid going within because in the beginning, if, especially if you didn't have the awakening that you have, it is not fun. Like, it's not easy. Like, oh, the, yeah, that's, that's the first step, like directed attention. Like Direct. people can't do that. Direct your attention on one thing and do it for a minute. You won't last three seconds. That's the extremely hard part about the beginning of an awakening is how do you get, for me, it was simple because, you know, pain and suffering gets you to move, you know? So if you, if you have an anxiety pain, you're like, you want it to go away. You're like, why do I have this? Okay. You know? Yeah, I had a nudge from a spiritual teacher who showed me the door. I said, okay, that's the door. Let me put in the work to get, see if I can get past that. So I had motive. But 
for someone that doesn't have that in a construct like that, I don't know what to say because, you know, you, many people will die having never lived. I think that's one of the best, one of my most favorite quotes of all time. I'm not even sure who said it. I can't recall, but many will die having never lived. But it's so true. I mean, so true. And it, it, and it means that millions of people have a very comfortable life. Might even call it a great life. Like, how can you argue with, like, a billionaire, say, that, you know, he's so comfortable and it's just a beautiful life. But then what comes to me is, like, you know, to gain the world but lose the soul. So it's so paradoxical when you look at it and you analyze it because, yeah, it's like, whoa, comfortability is really horrible in this place. Because to get comfortable means to, if you've gotten comfortable while you're asleep, it's a very dangerous place to be. Yeah. Here, you know, obviously there's soul progression. So we're talking about, you know, everybody has their own soul progression. So whether or not someone's faster or slower than another person, you know, when you're awake, you just kind of make these discernments. And I, it does seem as though, you know, another person who puts this in perfect words, Gene Hart. That's why we were texting about possibly where we're at now is like one of the closest places to hell, if not hell, because we, we all found ourselves in one of the most lower consciousness places and we're all trying to ascend out of here. And this is one of the end ages of that time that we've continuously been doing this, trying to ascend out of the 3D. I don't know if you've heard that or not. It's one of the, his, his latest videos, but we're here. We're at one of the lowest consciousness levels. And I, and that even goes to even pre-awakening the conversations we've had. We've been at, we've, you, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that we're at a place of infancy, but it, but that's paradoxical too, because yeah, it's infancy spiritually, but it's also been doing this for a long time. Like we could have been doing this for many lives, trying to get the hell out of here. Yeah. Everyone's trying to ascend out of this lower consciousness that we're in. And it, it could have been many rounds by now. Uh, me or you, you know, we've talked about what, what we, we might've came here on purpose. You know, that's one of the things that we've talked about, but, but taking it out of the equation and saying this is not hell, I mean, if it's not, we're really close to it where we're at. I mean, we're on the brink of World War Three going into 2023, and we're a split second away from some lunatic firing a nuclear bomb that could completely end this planet. That's where we live. It could be over tomorrow because of, because of ego. Here. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, and that's why I like Gene Hart. And I like his, I like his Christ commentary. It, it helps me refocus. It helps me, um, separate the Christ from the Christian dogma. Um, 
I just think that's because that's kind of the whole point. It's like all of these things were actually roads to the ascension, like we're talking about. I mean, the same exact things happened with the Buddhists. The same exact thing has happened in the other cultures where it just gets... um, it gets overrun over time by the by the ignorance of the institutional dogma that comes into play. I mean, the Catholics were selling passes to heaven for crying out loud. I mean, that was something that they had to come, get over in their institutional chaos of, you know, offering ascension to humanity. I mean, so, yeah, like, imagine that, like... We think we're in hell now, but I mean, back then, like they were, that was the institutional church saying, in order to get to heaven, you got to pay us. Like that was the, that was the religious institution on the ground operating like in that manner. Just think about the beginning of the podcast where we started out. You started talking about how hard it is to stay awake here. Yeah, me and you have been on. We've been on this path for. I mean, length of time doesn't even matter because you fast forwarded yourself and sort of catapulted yourself to the mystical. So, I mean, might as well say we're on equal footing if if you wanted to call it an ascension journey to the mystical at this point. But think about what you just said. Like it's incredibly difficult to. Remember, be awake throughout the day. Yeah. And if you take yourself to where you know, had those couple astral experiences and you're just out of the 3D, just maybe into the, the five, astral realm, I think I call it the 5D, but it's one set like 4Ds times space, I think five. So you're just beyond time space and it's not hard at all. But in the 3D, like, how can you not make the argument that, you know, just like Gene's saying, like the lower consciousness level, yeah, I guess you can go a little bit lower. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's possible. But a lot of that stuff we've created ourselves. So you could even say it came from us too. Like, because in hell, what are you going to do? Create a greater hell. Right. <laughs> so past that being in the 5d it's not hard to maintain consciousness it's not hard it's not you're not wrestling with trying to focus on the breath every second you're not trying you're you're navigating ascension in hell tell me that's not true right based on what you said the first 15 minutes of this podcast it's not easy. Yeah, it's Yeah, that's one of the things they talk about where you know, trying to get to the will in so I guess the 4D would be like just a dream space like caught up in your own mind. And then the 5D, like you actually exit that, and that's the astral. 
just on the other side of because 4D is still you're in the realm of time space still, just past time space in the five. Yeah. Yeah. And um. Yeah, so I think like part of what you have going on there is like you're you're outside of mind. You're outside of the human condition. And it's just not there. Like that we both have said that like one glimpse there and it's like it's hard to even like turn around and relate to the version of you that's here in 3D. Like let alone like this version like Hey, you're supposed to do this, 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 and this, and then you know the 5D or 4D version of you just turns around and says, "Who the hell are you? And why do you think you're going to give me orders from down there?" You know, like that will doesn't transfer. Um, I think it can um, with discipline, um, but yeah, you can see that, like, yeah, like you said, the the attention would be is completely different there there's just there's no there's no mind the way that we understand it here like it's just it feels like that's all there is is attention it turns into something special that's for sure i mean it's it's pretty revealing which while we're on the subject of hell i did want to hit on the latest video as well where Gene Hart talked. I haven't listened to the whole thing, but the first 45 minutes, it's about awakening, about um, a true awakening. And uh, I, I love his delivery on how he depicts, you know, a lot of people get caught up in this or that, but, you know, there's a, there's got to be a ton of authenticity when it comes to a spiritual awakening. And when you turn it into a bunch of gibberish and words and a lifestyle, you know, that's not awakening. This is, it's about experience and it's about integrity. It's about discipline and um, authenticity. And, and, and you, you can hear it in people's voices and, and not take it from me, not take it from Kane, but, but just listen to your heart and listen to the vibration and, and take it for what it is. And, and that's how you can, you know, match up with it. Um, but uh, he got into, that's what I was talking about, the synchronicities, because he uh, he got into talking about uh, I Am Legion, the verse. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, the different egos. And it kind of made me flash into my dream states. Um, because I'm trying to grasp and I guess, you know, uh, I'm, I'm putting out that seed as well, trying to understand the legion of egos, trying to understand the different dynamics of me and how you, because um, that's all a part of the ascension as well. I mean, you really have to understand the legion that's going on with the egos. And I, I noticed a couple nights ago I had a dream. It was about a particular person that, you know, not very close to me. You know, I guess you would say an acquaintance, but there's uh, the dream was about me getting back at this person. And this is not over like, this is over probably 
something silly, just something that you see that, you know, you maybe thought you didn't react to, but you did in your mind. And then, you know, that resentment emotion comes, you thought you were objective to it, but somehow it crept in and you like want to have that revenge moment in your mind. You know what I'm talking about? Where yeah. you've, you've now felt inferior, but you want to reclaim the superior again. So I had a dream about a particular person in my life where that seems to be like prevalent and where I was like, the whole dream was obviously I was unaware and I, you know, I'm looking at the dream and uh, I'm analyzing it. I'm analyzing it with, with kind of the lessons that I've gotten with the legion of ego and how everything's line, lining up and kind of dawned on me, like I'm, I'm viewing one of those egos i'm viewing that ego that is saying you need to become superior again you need to make the point and it's a it was a dream of a whole rendition about how you can have your gotcha moment a whole rendition the whole dream was a plot about how you can get the gotcha moment to say I'm superior now in every single sly way you can think of. You know how your mind does that? Yeah. I was viewing that and it's all in line with, you know, a lot of the, like I said, the lessons and the things that we're listening to, the synchronicities that are going on. I'm looking at them like, okay, I got it. That's, that's what we're talking about here. You Legion of Egos is those which are very tricky and and gene talks about it too as far as really uh, the destruction and the ascension past that legion um but it starts with the recognition uh, it starts with really being able to be aware of what's going on because you know a lot of times me and you wake up and you're like yeah i don't wear a dream yeah, I had an unaware dream. Yeah, we seem to be on this unaware dream thing. The meaning, I actually got meaning from it this time. as And I just saw it as one of my legion. I was like, that's that's one of those. That's one of those dudes. Like, that, that had manifested in me somehow. And it, a part of me wanted to manifest becoming that superior figure in a small fraction of time space. Like this has nothing to do with like the ever present moment. Like this is all like manifested into like stupidity, revenge or superiority. Yeah, like it, it doesn't even have to do with the other person at this point. Like every, and, and whatever I thought was an injustice, it could have been on the level of like, you know, someone bumping into my car or something. You know what I mean? It's not like yeah. justify or, or even where I, you, you have the anger saying they deserve it. So the, that's how sly it is though, and how sly it creeps in. So it just triggered me to be on the lookout for the unaware dreams to discover how many of these things are going on because I discovered a, an identity of one of those that I could pinpoint it. And, you know, that 
realizing that is obviously, you know, 90% of what I'm talking about here. But a lot of times we just, oh, I, I just wasn't aware. So it must not mean anything. But that time I got meaning and it's opened my eyes to keep an eye on, do I need to go through all these? Is that what is being shown to me? Yeah. Yeah. How quickly your identity will grasp on to something. Yeah. Cause you can like that one, you can almost see like during the day too, like there, you know, there's some version of, you know, like conversation or like coaching strategy or like something that's up and coming and like you can start to piece it together and like immediately like you start to piece it together like in a way that like puts you in a in a better light. And as soon as you feel that, it's like, bam, my identity jumps right into that. Like I'm painting myself superior here. I like this. So you'll fall right into it and that's where the construct starts to happen and so the w- same way we talk about like falling asleep which you said i think you feel like you're falling backwards i feel like there's like a daytime version of that where it's like falling forward falling forward into that identity it's the same one you're talking about i i do think that they're revealed in dreams for sure but i i also think you can see them during the day i think i think you set up like just enough like mental construct that the one that i see most of all that puts you in some kind of superior light and it's just bam i mean you get, it just goes right in it's created like instantaneously it's the speed of thought like you always say and then all you can do at that point is like, do you notice when you're being basically taken over? It's funny because that girl you were talking about on Twitter that you texted to me yes yesterday, I don't remember her name, but I told you I was going to listen to her podcast today. And um, yes. they went over evil pretty intensely. And they're actually talking about what you're talking about here. And... They're talking about like the Lucif- Luciferian um, um, I lost my word there, but they're they're talking about how we're susceptible to the Luciferian threat and how it is an entity, and one of the things they said that obviously like caught my ear right away is that any time you hear the word deserve deserve it. That's an entity. Oh wow! That you, you must have been like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was obviously like, oh wow. But I, I didn't. I mean, it makes sense when somebody says it with that much authority, because yeah, like what voice in your head, you know, of righteousness is ever going to utter the words they deserve it. I mean, it's pretty clear when you hear somebody just say it. Well, that is 
profound because I just put myself above that dream again and I'm looking down and it, you're right, it has a lot to do with feeling, but when I add the word deserve, mm-hmm. I almost feel entity. Yeah. Because it's, uh, when you describe it, I automatically know, you automatically know you're like in this wrong place of judgment. Like that's one right. deadly. I mean, it's right there. Like deserve is like the perfect secondhand word for judgment. I mean, that, that was your whole awakening was based off of that word. Right. Yeah, it's a powerful word because, I mean, it's so, it's for the intellectual type person, like if you say like they deserve it, what you're saying is like there's a math equation here and they've done this, 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 and this, and I haven't done crap. They deserve it. Can you do the math? I sure can. You know what I mean? Like it adds up. Like the deserve it is, that's why it's so sly and that's why it's so sneaky because intellectually there's no argument. So when the entity says they deserve it, you're, there's nothing you can do except accept it. Agree. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's all you can do is agree. It's one plus one. Yeah. And so you're just stuck and then it's like full on, you know, has you at that point. And, and next time he says they deserve it, you're just in the background saying, yeah, they do. They deserve it. You know, like how did I, how did you get caught up in that? But yeah, I mean, they just open the door and invite themselves right in. Yeah. I invited for a chat, but we'll see. Yeah. that. They uh, were. This is a pretty interesting conversation they had. They went really deep into evil and how evil operates. Um, they had some pretty good insights, stuff that we've definitely touched on. Um, like evil is the process of like trying to kill spirit. So I think that's what you think when you like talk about religion and like what you're seeing is like they're going against spirit. They're going against like they're going in the wrong direction. Like spirits that way. You guys are going this way. And therefore, like it's just backwards. That's the word you use. But evil would also be able to be applied there in some circumstances. Yeah, backwards going to, but don't get me started. (laughs) And they had a, uh, one interesting thing I remember is they went over necrophilia, which it just kind of hit me when they said the word. I'm like, you guys really need to talk about necrophilia? But I guess there's like this spiritual version of necrophilia where you're basically breaking a person's spirit so you're controlling a dead person but they're not biologically dead they're just spiritually dead because you broke them i guess there's like this whole new like necrophilia rage but they're in like the occult or something but they're using it in a different 
a different definition of necrophilia than what I was brought up on, which was like the real, uh, you know, grave digging physical necrophilia. But I guess, yeah, they had this whole spiel on like spiritual necrophilia, but it made a lot of sense when they were talking about how people are getting off on like the power of breaking somebody's spirit. Or I guess that would like power type stuff. I mean, pedophilia, I guess, would be like a version of it, you you know, just. But you can see like some relationships like out in the world where you're like. Most of the time, it's the man. Overpowering the woman, but you can see it go the other direction as well, where, you know, you just have like this huge imbalance of power. And it's like, is that guy just completely broken this girl and now just drags her around? So they would call him a necrophiliac. Have you been paying attention to the Idaho murders? Is that the young kids? The four? Yeah, yeah. Did you see the guy that they supposedly... No. A couple days. No. Uh, A bit Ted Bundy-esque. He's clean-cut. Uh, he's going for his PhD in criminal justice, and it, a lot of his assignments was interviewing, uh, you know, the mind of serial killers, and that was his thing. Oh wow! And he's the one now suspected of the murders, but it, it's like that white Elantra that gets his car, and supposedly they have DNA and. Uh, it's funny because I told Patty, I said, they think he committed the murders because, you know, he wanted to understand the minds of, like, serial killers. But if I'm going to, if I watch anything other than a spiritual show, I love trying to get inside the head of, of a serial killer or a crime person or watching the Netflix. I'm a killer. Just that's where Daryl came from. You want to have that. Right. I, I love trying to understand where they went off the rails at. And I told Patty, I said, well, that didn't make me. (laughs) So, right. uh, But that, I mean, if you want to say what's one of my top, I I love to analyze that too, from the aspect of mine, they said, this guy loved to do that. But at some point, it transitioned to where his identity now became killer. So now that even became fascinating to me because I'm like, well, how the hell did he make that leap? Where does that come from? Like, how do you get that identity and 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 make that jump? Because I, 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 obviously, you love those shows. You're trying to figure out, like, what makes a person snap. Obviously, you know, anger, you understand that. I, I was always fascinated with Ted Bundy because I thought that guy was so insanely crazy, but so intriguing to try to understand. And that brings up the whole evil thing. Like, are, is there people here that are born without something? Because uh, of the... Of the stories and the things that I've listened to with Ted Bundy, he seems pretty soulless. Like, I don't know if it's in there. And then if you look at the history, um, 
And there's a strong history, if you look at a lot of serial killers, and which I've never seen this before, but supposedly, you know, you know pornography, 12, 13, 14, or 15, but it, there's a, a form of pornography that's um, gory. That, and, and supposedly in the 80s, like dealing with like blood and stuff that he was involved with, but but there's a common denominator of a lot of them at a young age were involved with that type of pornography, which is, I believe, you know who else? Jeffrey Dahmer. That was another one. It's it's a certain type of pornography that is gory. I don't even know how to explain it. Um, it's, uh, it's rather disgusting, I mean, to the average person, but they it's as if, they were exposed to it at a young age, and it did something to them. But then it begs the question: like, Dahmer's a good example too. Like Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer. Like, can you make the argument? Like, period. You know how the drop goes in the ocean? Can the drop go the other way? Like, complete. Like, there is no more soul. It's just essence of evil. Because Ted Bundy's stories. He was a freaking animal when he killed people. I don't know if you're familiar with like the Gainesville murders, but he turned into a beast. He turned into yeah. a beast. It was it was grotesque and gross. And then he, he would walk out calm. It's just very bizarre. But it, it always begs the question for me, is there pure evil out there? Can that drop of water go the totally opposite way, like soulless people? I think the answer is yes, but I don't think the ocean is the same. Like the ocean on the light side is the ocean represents infinity, but the ocean on the other side is like a very fractal. uh, I mean, it's a big, big place to get lost in, but it's not like the infinity. It's like a, there's an, there's a fine, it's like the collection of all of the ego. So it is finite. And then that collection of all the ego has its own collective consciousness that I'm sure in some places of evil can be like rather big and powerful. So like the way that we talk about like understanding that there's evil inside of us and understanding that like there's times where entity is taking over in like a superiority type thing. Like all that stuff and the way we were just talking about like they deserve it. You've talked about like seeing yourself go through doors forward in your spiritual progression. But there's like a reverse of that where you're inviting in over and over through the door. Inviting in, inviting in, inviting in. And like Jeffrey Dahmer, he had like some kind of condition that's very, very rare where he was getting sexually aroused from like the inside guts of like animals and stuff. So there's a name for that. There's like a specific condition, but I mean, think about like how Ted Bundy. Yeah. He was getting aroused from, um, from what you're talking about. But I mean, if you think about it, because they were at some point babies. So this is, it's the conditioning of the collective consciousness and think like it's so specific. Like it's, 
impossible for a human within human procreation to come to the conclusion on its own like there's something sexually arousing about guts on the inside. Like it's not a human path. It's not a human path of intellectual progression. Point being, like it's it is a beast. It's a complete entity takeover. It's a complete one hundred percent taken over by some sort of demonic possession. It just brought that up to me, but during the Daryl video, he was aroused by fire. Yeah. Uh, and it, the the house that he burned, or the person, like he was like participating in like masturbation while the house was burning down with the victim in it. Yeah. Like how how does you, how do you get arousal from fire? Like that's what I'm saying. Like that. <laughs> there, there's fire and dead people, but. There's some sort of mystical on that side too. That absolutely in that way, it's super freaking potent and evil. Like you talk about, you know, sexual alchemy on 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 the other side, which can be seriously beautiful in ascension. But you talk about on the other side, man, that's super potent stuff because I. I have not heard one story that doesn't have a background of bizarre arousal um, ways, habitual ways. Like that wasn't the first time at a fire. Like he would he would set fires to do that. And there, there's a certain kind of evil potency there on, on that side of the spectrum that has it's a common denominator between all of them. Yeah. Yeah, you could see like most of the time like there's some amount of shame like normal in the sexual experience so like you're always navigating um you're you're always navigating like your own level of like turned onness like to your own level of shame like and that's just like the way it is from the start. Like there's something weird in sexuality, like from the get go. It's like the one thing that feels good. And like <clears throat> everybody in the authority is basically trying to like tamp you down and like push you away from that. Like whether that's the religious authority or even like the family authority, like every it's always has this authority hammer that we try to crack down on it that seems to like just completely backfire every single time like i don't even know why we try but it always develops like that sense of shame but how does how does like within that process at like a young age and when you talk about like the pornography that's available today and if you start slowly like opening yourself up to like more and more violence i'm assuming by accident right like 
I'm assuming like you just get caught in like something that you're just curious about and you just move forward and you don't realize what you're allowing in and then you find out much too late that there's no turning back from that now. Is that how that works? I mean, I guess, but in, uh, specifically these stories in the 80s, we, we didn't have the technology then, but it, it, they told the story as, you know, magazine form. Uh, I mean, the internet wasn't even born. There was a certain type of gory pornographic magazines that if looked at at a certain age, you know, that specific 12 to 15 age, has a profound effect on the rest of your life uh, as far as uh, I guess to the tune of nothing is fulfilling unless something is carried out you know what I mean like to the normal person um, you know traditional sense is, is enough but, but, but to someone that's been exposed to that in that crucial time period, which that 12 to 15, you know, boys and girls seems to be like this crazy sweet spot to, um, to get past un, unfazed by what could affect you the rest of your life. But they all have that one thing in common. Uh, Daryl being the anomaly that I've never heard the fire thing. But there, there was a specific thing. I mean, they, they pull up and show, you know, I, I honestly, to this day, don't even know what it's called. I'm sure there's a name for it, but it's something right. I, I would never want to even go down that path because it just, it doesn't even make sense. Like it's, it's almost like the thing like you, you, you see her like, there's no way, even even as a, just say an untainted pure person, you're like, there's no way that I'll ever like open that book. But then there's like a couple people who's like, I gotta open that book. And then once you open that book, you're like screwed. You know what I mean? It's one of those kinds because if you open that book and that causes like your first arousal, there's something to do with that. For if that first arousal is like that screwed in that tainted in that way it's some about the effect it has on the rest of your life yeah because you're opening if it went that way i mean your first arousal like that's one of the things that you can notice like after awakening just through like normal sexuality is like wow, there is a third eye pool that is legit in sexuality. Like just normal sexuality. That third eye goes crazy. Now you take that same scenario that you're talking about and you're opening the third eye. And I'm certainly not a third eye expert, but I think if you're opening it, it's kind of available both ways. So there's an entry point as well. So you're basically just opening the door for entity is what I'm trying to say. And then what could end up happening, because you're saying like the reverse of the drop of the ocean. And I like that idea. And what would be happening is it could be, you know, like low level demon, you know, easy access point in, but then, I mean, 
those low-level guys in the hierarchy of the fractal nature of evil, I mean, they just got to keep reporting back. And once they know that, like, oh, this is an easy in, so the entity keeps getting more and more malevolent and more and more powerful and big as it keeps going up their chain of command. And next thing you know, you got Jeffrey Dahmer, like, doing the acts. And then that leads to these four college students who, and I think we've talked about this too, like serial killers, it seemed to have like the declined in popularity is not the right word, but it seemed like when I was growing up in the seventies and eighties, like we were aware that there was bad people in the world. Like in, in it, it didn't do to us now what it did to us then, because in elementary school, I mean, the bike rack was full. Like, I rode, what, two miles to school? So there was generated fear that there was going to be bad people that you probably were going to cross paths with or could have been watching you. Um, now... Maybe that maybe awareness has been a good thing because of the decline. But now, I don't know about you, but there is no bike racks at elementary schools anymore. There ain't no kids walking or going to school. I mean, they're yeah. getting in some other way. That's besides the point. But it does seem to be a different time. Like there seem to be the now it's now it's turned into more of like this mass shooting thing like that's the more prevalent thing the more like uh it's it's just raised its game that beast mode has raised its game to um it's almost has the same philosophy as like you know taking out the world trade center type evil like I'm going to take myself out of this world, but I need to take as many people as I can with me. So it's very like acute. It's like, this is on target. Like this is, this needs to happen the way it needs to happen. So it's, it's, it's less of like culminating this person over time to more of like this impulsive targeted person who's able to be zapped in a hypnotic phase very quickly to act out something uh, very strange and then take their life as well. And if you compare it from the 70s, 80s, and 90s to now 2000, 2010, 2020, the whole dynamic of evil has changed as far as that goes. That's why when you see this come on, you're like, whoa, wait a second here. This is... This is now we're getting back into like Ted Bundy range. Like here's another one of these guys is popping up now. Where'd this come from? Yeah, that's that's super interesting. Yeah, it, the shifting evil because you're right. And then yeah, does this represent like a shift back? And when you say that, it's really you can look at other cultures too. Like an example would be. Like when we were coming out of high school and, you know, like the Islamic terrorists, you know, sawing the heads off of journalists and stuff, like a a different version, a different manifest of evil. 
And I've actually seen stuff out of Africa, seen horrible stuff out of Africa, but it's like a whole other different manifest of evil. And yeah, some of it really messes you up, like just to witness it. Like what you were talking about before, like the stage, like I've, I've definitely seen stuff that like had like a huge impact on me. That was just super quick. And it was all based on like the person I was before I thought like I was above any form of self-censorship. Like I just didn't think that existed. Like there is nothing that like a screen can show me that I can't handle. Like that doesn't exist. And I just felt like so confident in that for some reason. But I had one like out of Africa where it really kind of challenged me. And it was in Africa, like the the evil that's being represented there is like that tribalistic evil like, that we should really be somewhat paying attention to when you look at like the state of our country and how we're so easy to like demonize groups of people in our own population. But there is a fast forwarded version of that in Africa, meaning like they're way down that road where like they've just decided they don't like these people and they go kill them with machetes like that type of tribalism. But there was one and it's not when you say violent, like you have like the gory violence that, I mean, I definitely don't like to see. I could, I, you know, you can immediately see like, okay, this is going to be a gore. And I kind of know, like, I just don't like that. I don't need to take that in. Like, so I, I was never like the person that needed to watch like all the slasher movies or anything. It wasn't like that, but I just felt like if there was something that, you know, like a great example is the reporters that, were decapitated something that was like meant to be seen i felt like i had to see it for some reason and um the one in africa they've it wasn't violent at all but they would create a burn pit and they would like have a whole circle of people and there was one guy and they would push him into the burn pit and he would crawl out you know in another way and they'd push him back in and he would crawl out and they'd push him back in. And he'd crawl out and they'd push him back in. And eventually he stopped crawling. And I was just like, that's the evilest thing I've ever seen. It wasn't even gory or anything. It's just, how do you get a circle of people that have just decided that? I mean, it just it really messed me up. Just, I mean, there's so, there's, there's times where you can like view it. I mean, it wasn't gory. It wasn't, you really, it was a grainy video. Like you really almost had to be like instructed on what you were seeing because it almost didn't make sense. So it wasn't like it was this vivid video, but it was like the idea of the evil that you were like an idea of it that you didn't have to beforehand that it would just like, what is that? And when you see something like that and you realize like, oh, like there's a there's a heavy emotional response there. 
And that's the key. Like as soon as you start realizing and seeing those like heavy emotional responses, like those are like those are the ways in. So how do you get that crowd of people? You have those heavy responses. But it's almost like it's it's like this evil like procreation party. Like they're all having that response. They're all inviting it in. They're all chanting basically he deserves it in unison. And you're seeing it, so you're like, oh, like clearly I know what that is. Like that's a collective demonic possession. But then it makes you wonder. I mean, so I like, what is World War One? Like what is World War Two? Like what is the Silver War? I mean, it's not as if we don't have examples of that all throughout history it makes you wonder the media is you always have the copycat the collective um demonic reaction and it's it always gets into somebody yeah always and 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 they get so much exposure that they, it's like they give the opportunity. Like someone sees that video and it goes badly, and that possession gets in them. It happens yeah. every time. It, Ninety million people see it. You know, one or two people get infected every time. Yeah, exposure too. That it's you know the perpetuation. I don't know how to handle. That and, and, and I don't I don't see it changing because the, on the media side it's so it's it's run by greed and and you can't cover something that captivating but something that com- captivating on a demonic structure like that is not good to put up for four hours on the TV and, and invoke emotional response it's not good yeah. And, and everyone who gets on there is like, how do we stop this? Like, you're doing something psychological. Like, it, for one, you just get, you just can't show it. Try it. I mean, what do you got to lose? You can tell most people are coming from the heart. Like, my God, how how is this going to happen tomorrow? It's going to happen next week. When is it going to stop? I mean... It's pretty genuine, but at the same time, yeah, okay, it's genuine, but try something else because it's the same damn thing every damn time. The definition of insanity is repeating the same thing and expecting a different result. So when you have a mass shooting and you repeat the same sequence that you do every time in the media, which is rush in with the cameras, rush in with all the Let's find out everything about this guy. Let's try to put his picture up on. Let's try to find motive. Let's try to find this. Rush in. Exposure, exposure, exposure. It, it's it's like Groundhog Day. And that's insanity. But how how is that going to be turned off? It's like trying to get the politicians to vote on term limits. Is that even possible? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, where you can see clearly the just just observing the violence 
and just like the witnessing of the evil and how much of a doorway like that could be. And then in terms of like where we are now and where we're going, like that is also just scratching the surface. Like if you also now take like that kind of like representation of evil that can be understood like in video format enough to where like it's clearly a doorway and now you also add into that like evil sexual elements to give it like that double charge of sex and violence like holy cow it seems like it should be able to spread pretty fast because there's got to be a lot of people who are just like the former version of myself who are just confident that they can handle everything (coughs) That's got to be a lot of people out there who don't just automatically like turn away. And so it's just like a statistical numbers game. Like it seems like you could catch a lot when you look at like moving forward with like deep fakes and not necessarily knowing what is real and what is not real. And I mean, so nothing's off limits. In terms of like emotional response, I mean, like you're you're talking about witnessing stuff, you know, about your family or whatever that I mean hasn't even happened, but you still witness it. Like the where this stuff is going in terms of like the doorway is kind of unbelievable to think about. <laughs> I thought last night was um, kind of an interesting awakening moment for. Football? Did you happen to see that last night? I saw it this morning. So, I had walked to the kitchen. I think I had the game on. I was like five minutes in. But on Monday night, you know, I'm typically like watch the start of a game. And, you know, four or five minutes and nine o'clock, I'm going to lay down. Um, So, for sure, like... I'm not the type of football watcher that I used to be just by default. It just, I, I, I like to turn on like, but then, you know, the idea of going and finishing Gene Hart's video while I'm laying doing a meditation from nine to 10 is a really big, you know, turn on at this point in my life. I start that in a, and I'm, and I'm, I'm watching it just as like the prevails to me walking up the stairs, go to bed. And I went to get something in the kitchen and I come back and they were at a commercial. And then he come back and uh, the whole dynamic had changed. And he had made a tackle and this was not a bad hit or anything. He had just, he, he made the tackle very mild. I mean, I saw the tackle. Yeah, it wasn't like, I mean, I've seen people get obliterated before. This was, and then he stood up, they both stood up, and then he falls backwards, and anything from the doctors that, you know, obviously he had some type of cardiac arrest, they don't really know the cause, and I'm not going to sit there and go into detail about what they thought it was, because I don't know, but they, they had to restart his heart. We know that, and it took him nine minutes to do it on the field. Meanwhile, we're all watching this, and 
something happens when everybody's watching a present moment like this. Like everyone becomes present and, and everything changed. And yeah, the commentators are like, this is not about football anymore. And then like in your head, like, yeah, it's never really been about football. I mean, it, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's cool. But in the grand scheme of things, like football means nothing. It's a sport. Right. I get it that, you know, you can play for a living, but when it comes down to like the present moment, yeah, we can all drop everything and just say screw football. It's possible. <laughs> like that right. is possible. But last night you saw the possibilities, but it's not, it, it all of a sudden turns everything. And now all of a sudden I'm like, hold on one second. I'm, I'm watching and I'm, enthralled of the silence of the stadium and my plan was you know it starts at 8 30 and then i mosey on up at nine o'clock i just sat there i was like glued to the tv i was glued to the tv because the whole dynamic had changed you have the announcers who don't know how to handle the situation they're trying to say the right thing but the best thing about it was and not none of this was like i'm not trying to say this was a great moment for me the guy you know passed out on the field is, is horrible. I'm saying horrible things like that bring people together. And why does it take that to bring everyone yeah. to the present moment like that? You could hear a pin drop in the stadium. And I thought to myself, I even turned to Patty. I said, if people understood that they could pack a stadium and use that silence, like we don't even understand the power. We can start crystallizing people. Like you don't even understand the power of silence and everyone focused on one situation like that. It's really powerful. It was yeah. kind of cool to be a part of. And, and I hate it for the situation. But in those moments you learn something and then tomorrow it'll just be another football game. And, and it's like, you don't really understand. No, I'm like, no, if, if you, if you go into a stadium and you hear a pin drop and nothing happened, like you can have some ascension moments. It just always takes like these horrible moments in life for us to unify like that to where everyone's unifying. Like the dude, the people on the, that are covering the game, they can't say shit about football. Nobody can say shit about football for four hours. And we're all looking at a football stadium and it's beautiful. Yeah, it's weird when you when you say that because, yeah, you could pack the stadium with silence. You could have one guy go to the middle of the field and like grab the microphone and just say, "I love all you guys," and like half the stadium would like boo him and be in judgment, like, "Who is this guy? Give him the hell out!" But you have one guy like have a heart attack at that moment, and all the love would just pour to him. Because it's his last moment. Like everybody can relate. It's his last moment. You might as well like be unjudgmental in his last moment. But why does it take the last moment? Why can't we drop that judgment beforehand and just focus on that one guy who just said, I love you and is fine? And that point was made, I think, on the show... I saw this morning when they're kind of analyzing it and uh, I was, uh, man, I was on the same tune with them last night and, and they got a lot of attention to this guy 
rightfully so. I mean, he deserved all the thoughts and prayers or whatever at that moment and all the attention in that moment. Uh, there was nothing that you could do but focus on him, which was a beautiful thing in itself. And, you know, I, I, I think he's alive. I don't, I don't have an update on that, but, uh, it could be a miraculous story. Um, I lost my train of thought. They just got to pull that vaccine clot out of his heart and he'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah, it ran across my mind. Uh, I I had to get it for the travels, but... um, Oh, that was the point I was going to make. It came to me. So they're sitting around and I was thinking the same thing too. Like, Football is a violent sport, and if if you don't die in that way, the life expectancy of a football player is a sacrifice because it's way lower than the average person. And uh, CTE is, uh, you know, it's the reason why Aaron Rodgers and Antonio Brown. If you've ever seen the hit on Antonio Brown, he's he acts the way he has behavioral issues because he has brain damage. And all you have to do is look up the hit on Antonio Brown. There's one specific hit when he went downhill. And, and you don't even have to get specific. Just type in the big hit on Antonio Brown in YouTube and watch it. And you'll understand the point where he started to go downhill. Antonio Brown was full of life. I, lo- I used to love to watch him at Pittsburgh. And then CT, it's a progression. And the guy made the point, like, I understand you care about this guy. We all were all in in his last moments, if they were his last moments. But football is about a slow death. CTE is prevalent. Like, they, you're slowly killing yourself. And, and you look at Tua, the Miami quarterback, he's already on his, like, third concussion. I mean, it's, it's sacrifice, and it's kind of slow and vigorous. So those kind of analogies are fun to me because it really shows – humanity and 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 brings us closer as a collective to that more on the ocean side than on what we all seem to be more on the evil side more often than not and those moments bring us to like wow do do we not understand if we rinse and repeat we might become an unstoppable force if we repeat not only when someone collapses what happens if we practice this like all the time? It would, it would, yeah, it would change. It would change the dynamic of of the planet we live on. It's it's it it it, it changed the whole night for me because I had a plan of going up and finishing that video and I didn't do it. I mean, I was I was just enthralled with what was going on and. Wanted to be a part of that collective unity at that moment. It was cool. Yeah, very cool. Oh.